Today we're speaking with Peter Volster. He is a C-level executive leader with 20 years of international experience driving strategic change to deliver sustainable commercial outcomes across industries, including retail, wealth, corporate and investment banking, financial services, insurance, mining and resources. I thoroughly enjoy the conversation. I hope you do too. Let me know what you think. Here is Peter Voster. If you want to get more value from your data analytics investment, I highly recommend you speak with Rubik's. That's Rubik's with an X at the end. I've done a lot of work with them. They're excellent at what they do, and they're a lot of fun to work with as well. Rubik's are a fully Australian-owned data analytics technology services company. They work with top ASX-listed companies. They are dedicated to being Australia's leading data company. That's all they do. They love doing it. The experts at Rubik's apply their extensive data capability and rapid analytics framework to help you get the value you need from your data within a couple of weeks. After that, the sky's the limit. I've been impressed at how fast they are at delivery. Unlike other consulting companies, Rubik's is a true partner. They are data specialists. They always send in their A-team, or as they like to call it, the data Avengers. For data strategy all the way through to delivery, give them a call, ask for Dylan. You'll have a fantastic conversation. You'll walk away smarter and have had a few laughs as well. And also check out the website, rubix.com.au. And for the contact form, go to rubix.com.au forward slash contact. Peter, how are you doing today? Very well in a cold Sydney, but fantastic. Oh, mate. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. I am very excited to speak with you. Um, at the beginning, I wanted to ask you if you can give us a, a bit of uh, an origin story and how your career has looked uh, to date uh, before we, we jump into any other questions. What, what has been the, the Peter Vorster story so far? Uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting but bumpy one, at least interesting to, to me. Um, Started off as a, as a civil engineer wanting to build bridges and things like that and uh, did that for, for, for a couple of years um, and then realized that engineers know nothing about business, so studied an MBA. And at that time, every single financial services business in, in Africa said we like engineers who's got MBA. So off went and joined the life insurance company. And uh, as I was doing my MBA, um, one of the key questions that they asked is, can you use modeling and analytics to help us succeed in recruiting financial advisors? Wow. Oh, okay, well, that, that's quite an quite a, quite a interesting challenge to have. Also, they were sponsoring my MBA, so it was very, very apt that I supported back to, to my employer. Um, so I went off and started looking at advanced analytics and ways to solve the problems differently and lots of data, um, not clean data, went down that journey. And then eventually um, just stuck to doing analytics across many different roles I had in the organization. Not as an analytics leader, those things didn't exist, but it was like your business leader that's got a knack for analytics. So did a couple of different roles, um, joined banking, so from insurance to banking. And, uh, and, and I can quite clearly remember in 2013, having many different roles in the bank, um, the executive said, this whole digital transformation, data, artificial intelligence, customer experience, design thinking, all of these things are very well known in, uh, in places like retail banks, but from a corporate bank, there's very little known. So yes. uh, I had this fantastic opportunity in 2013 with two of my colleagues to go travel the world and figure out what do we do? Well, my job was on the data side, obviously, but what do we do to compete and what's our relevance in the future with regards to digital data design um, 
and can we go off and conquer? So off uh, me and three of my, or two of my colleagues went traveling the world, talking to people about what that could be. So that was pr pretty much where my real data journey started and my eyes opened to the little bit that I, I thought I knew a lot before, but the little bit I really knew around what was going on with data. Um, and I can share a bit more of those stories as, as, as we go through today. But effectively what it, what it landed at is, was, um, it is, data is something that's inevitable and it only takes a matter of time for people to get there. But the journey that you follow to make it a success is something that's very little, uh, there's very little known about it. There's many, many theories until you've actually done it, which made up my career from 2013 to, to, to date around applying into three different companies. How do you actually solve for becoming a customer-led, data-informed, agile organization? What that Harvard program was, it was a two-week, just short of two-week program filled with C-suite executives all asking the same question. What is this thing about data? How do we compute analytics? You know, what does the future look like? Should we invest? And the nice thing about that experience is I've got probably some of the best learnings from companies like John Deere, so one of the executives of John Deere was in my syndicate group, if you like. Mm -hmm. And just what they do in terms of um, geospatial analytics for farmers and autonomous vehicles for you know, mass production of crops um, to talking to a startup uh, company, which, which I won't, 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 won't mention the name for, for many different reasons, yep. but a startup company that's natively everything is data. And you go, hang on, how do you take a large bank, which I work for um, across Africa and, and go down this journey? So that was a, a very good start. And, and it was literally 52 people all sitting on different stages of their maturity journey. And I think what I took from that is the comfort that uh, I'm not alone. There, mm. There's the amount of questions that I have and uncharted territory that we're going down. There's many, many folk going through this. Then this and, and then from, from the US, uh, I, I was invited. I don't know how I got invited. But I got invited to the Rothschild Castle in Frankfurt to spend time with um, chairmen's of banks globally. Amazing. And, I, and I spent a bit of time with the CEO of Rabobank um, and understanding their journey and, you know, how they're expanding into new markets and, and how their philosophy around data analytics, um, amongst other things, digital not being, a, they're not, they were never going to be a bank that's going to be, um, in, in non-Netherlands, going to be a, a large organization with branches all over the show, compete with the majors. But they really wanted to play in the markets where they wanted to play in very differently. And that was a very... I think the key learning from that conversation with him was, and, and many of many, many others, was the um, ability to really understand information well to pick a very unique business model for the markets you want to enter. One of the most surprising, and I'll, maybe as the last one um, uh, that, that we visited, was um, the whole executive team went to go visit BBVA, which is a bank mm -hmm. in Spain, but they do most yeah. of their business in, uh, in Mexico or a lot of the business in Mexico. And this is amongst the time when um, lots and lots and lots and lots of large global financial institutions started scaling back to stick to their, 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 their country of origin, if you like, where they have their strongest foothold. And BBVA said, no, no, we're a global bank and we're a successful global bank. And the thing that stood out most um, around those conversations was, so BBVA won the world's best banking app. I, I forgot who gave them the accolades. And the day they won it, they realized the app is obsolete. It's not good. It's not what they inspire it to be. And you go, hang on. How can you go from the world's best to rebuilding it from scratch? That just doesn't, in no one's logical mind, does it make sense. It's a success. <laughs> you want to build on it. 
things. But what they, what they realized is that because they got so much richer information, they realized how they set up their business, what the future could look like, they completely missed the mark. And that was their customer-centric journey and how data and digital plays a key role to the future. Um, but also, you know, lots of lessons learned, lots of mistakes made. Um, the, the mindset to be able to fail and learn from it was, was, was something that was fairly refreshing. A lot of the companies, you know, also, also spend time at Google and Facebook and, all, you know, all the, the top, the, the names that we see all over the show. Zappos, a very interesting company out of Las Vegas. Um, but you start talking to all of them, you realize one key thing is that they all have a very different appetite to learn and also the learnings that they do is with intent. It's not just, oh, let's come down this journey and do something exciting and see if it works yes. and, and so on. So it, it was a fascinating journey, fascinating journey. I wanted to ask you, because I, I see so often that um, companies don't, companies lack an appetite to, um, to disrupt themselves uh, because the, the organizational structures are, are there. A lot of times in large companies, the organizational structures are there to, to avoid change uh, because the, the machinery that is the business has been proven and is profitable um, so, so essentially, as, as company owners, as company executives, as shareholders, we want the, the machinery to continue to work because you put $1 in and you know you're going to get 2 or $3 out. Um, and, and, and obviously, from a political perspective, there's, there's um, a, a lot of powers in the, within the organization that are aiming to, to resist this, this change and self-disruption. Um, how, how are you... Um, how were you able to to get the the backing for uh, to do a self disruption play uh, within a, a large organization and and obviously getting this uh, during this time frame of of a year? How was the the entry to to yeah. to that? Uh, it it was massively massively exciting but massively painful. I think all the things that you mentioned. I'll give some examples of how that that work has been unbelievably in some instances welcomed, in some instances challenges for all the reasons that you mentioned. But, I, but, but, but I'll, I'll maybe start answering the question by saying, because we created an environment where we could test, learn, provide, build, execute, without having to go through a significant amount of extra governance and agreement, because the moment you need to get agreement from everyone, mediocrity around consensus will apply because everyone mm -hmm. will have an opinion. So we said, we will try this out. It had the sponsorship of the group executive. It had the sponsorship of the executive, the, the group, the chief executive of the, the, biz, the retail, oh, sorry, of the corporate investment bank. And it was with a particular mm -hmm. intent that, that he had this mandate to determine for the bank what some of these um, alternative operating models and business models could be. So there, there was a definite intent to do. I think the um, disruption also happens that you've got the ability now to disrupt and you've created something that could disrupt, but the final decision around how you would want to disrupt always has to go back to a broader decision-making position. So it gets to a point where you have to say, we've built it, it's ready to go, customers like it, we can disrupt the market, but there will be cannibalization inside the bank. And that decision where you do actually start impacting profits and you do start impacting um, poor business revenue streams, that does go to a broader conversation, which, which was inevitable I think the first test proved that it can work and that there's opportunities. We can actually do it quickly and we can do it in a very different way. Cloud solutions, technology, everything else baked into the, the way you would do it. Um, but then it does come down to the politics. It does come down to the point to say, well, we've created something in the 
can disrupt X amount, but it is a future play, then let's make the decisions at the right level and perhaps um, start disrupting your competitors first before you, you chew up your own, own business. I'll give you an example of how complex this, and, and, and from the question, do you understand the challenges, but just, just how absurd some of these things could be. So in, in the bank that I was in, we had lots of really, really, really widespread good data around transaction information. Obviously, all privacy except the GDPR and so on. So there was absolutely no, uh, no breach of any leg, uh, legislative environment. There was also a lot of ethics around how we use this data and how we would apply it to companies. But what it really was is to use transaction information to help retailers understand how their businesses work. So who buys from them? When do they shop? What time of the day do they shop? How much do they spend? How much do they spend with others like them? Um, what is their demographics potentially look like? Never identifying any individuals. You know, you needed to have a cluster of at least 100 customers before you start saying that there's a particular customer segment that you're after, which was good. The data was owned by one part of the business because they generated the information. So this was of credit cards or of, of, of terminals, post devices, or point of sale devices. The analytics sat in another part of the business, which I was in, where we built the data science team. So they built the IP. The product relationship with the customers, now these were business banking customers, was with another part of the bank. So you had three different parts of the bank trying to understand, here's a proposition that we could resolve that, yes, would sort of give a lot more um, insight to our companies that we bank to say you could actually have a bit different banking relationship because your customers are doing something very different. You bought into a particular solution. The solution now suggests, or the data that we do in the product, that data product we built suggests other solutions. Mm -hmm. That may not necessarily charge the bank necessarily make as much, but who, who? So how do we sell this? So the problem was we've got this product. Customers liked it. it was customer tested throughout the journey, but who's is, is the person who owns the data? The revenue owner on this? Or the people who built the IP? Do we own the revenue, or is it the relationship managers? And the data team never had a PNL. We don't have a cost center, for example, where we can put products in and we can make profit off or, or generate revenue. And that conversation took at least at least six months to resolve. Um, and, and, and I think the, the, the challenge that you mentioned around politics and organizational structure, it is something that gets best resolved by having good relationships inside the organization, understanding your strategy, what you're trying to achieve, understanding why it's important to do and having the blessing of at least the, 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 the group executive to say, we're going along this journey not to deliberately disrupt you because we believe you're not doing a good job, but to determine how do we actually solve solutions for our customers better. And I think that was the, to, to sort of close off in the, when, when do people fight each other and when do they work together? If you say, well, we are fighting for our customer against all the other competitors, your buy-in, if that's the, the trajectory that you set up, it makes a significant difference because then everyone rallies together. So we can do some better things for our clients and it's really important to us. And that was sort of the, the key guiding principle. If it doesn't benefit the client and ultimately what the client wants, um, and you're just trying to move money from one part of the business to another part of the business, you'll never succeed. So then um, we, part of the problems we needed to solve was obviously not just unique to the corporate investment bank because that's where it started off as chief analytics officer. Um, some of it was how do you build a data science team similar to your experience, uh, um, it wouldn't be surprising that there is no data science programs or back then was no data science programs in, in any of the universities. And I knocked on all their doors. I tried to convince the actuaries to learn a bit about computer science. I tried to get the computer science guys to learn about a bit about statistics, trying to give a bunch of bursaries out. So eventually we started a data academy, um, which was really from 
you know, 70% of the data economy was going to be people just using the tool sets that they already have. The banks got all the tool sets, right? Lots of data, lots of tool sets. People just don't know how to use them to their full extent. And 30% was purely focused on data science. So after we've done that, mm-hmm. um, we realized that part of the other, other parts of the bank um, needed a lot of the same solutions because they had mm-hmm. the same challenges. They realized there's some things that they could do. There's some interested bodies, but they weren't really being nurtured from an analytics perspective to to at least coalesce around a particular approach to doing analytics, setting some standards, setting the standards for what a data scientist would have to do, setting a curriculum for what they have to go through, you know, doing peer reviews. There's, there wasn't one see all, be all data scientists. They worked well in teams. People, different people had different knowledge and different experiences, whether it's the main expertise. So the group then decided, well, hang on, why don't we make you the chief analytics officer for the group? So effectively, we would take the wealth management business, the retail business, the business bank business, the institutional and markets business, and, and you'll have oversight across all of those, but at the same time, help us understand what the technology strategy should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you hit the, 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 the challenge around, well, your data is never as good as it needs to be, and you spend most of your time trying to get the data in the shape that you could use, um, which instantly led to um, working with uh, uh, what our technology architecture should be in the future. Um, and that's another level of complexity because we had part of the business run out of London, other part of the business being run local. It, the bank that I was at was a culmination of, in the 80s, 1986, of four different big banks, so all independent wow. systems, customer bases. And you, and you would think that after a period since 1986 to you know, 2015, that people have at least got the technology stack done. But you know, there's some products that just was never economically viable to do. So you had this plethora of legacy. Mm. But the most, cha- even with all of that and understanding the order of the possible, being very positive and excited around the journey, the biggest, biggest job that, that that job took was literally talking to pretty much the top 40 executives across the bank, trying to explain to them and trying to get them to understand what some of the value of this data journey would be and why it's important. Mm-hmm. Now, if you think that that's easy, I remember quite clearly there was one particular executive, very key. Um, in a product environment, so, you know, product makes the money and products got lots of years of experience and understands operations very clearly, understands how products work, the regulatory frameworks, all those wonderful things. Mm-hmm. But it took 60 hours with of one-on-ones at an hour at a time to get this executive to just understand some of the – now, this, this person is extremely clever, right? Mm-hmm. This, this, for no, for no, don't for one second think that the person's intellectual ability was the, the reason why why um, this took so long to just land why it's important and where it can fit in. But what I was really, and, and, and this is one thing I'd appreciate, I really appreciate about these executives to say that I'm sitting in a team. I've got a five, 6,000 people working for me. They've all been operating in a certain way, doing really, really well. Mm. And what we are trying to do is trying to understand what is the golden hook that's going to get people excited to go down this journey. And unless we fundamentally kind of understand the problems in the business today, so why do I need to change? What are the problems? Why does data suggest or analytics or digital suggests um, that things should be different? Mm-hmm. And also, how doesn't it just become another poster that you stick up to say we're data-driven and insights and client-led and all those wonderful things? And what all those conversations was about is for him understanding the key principle differences around what the future could look like versus what it is today and why there's a, what was the argument for change and why that argument is so compelling that he could with conviction stand up in front of his 5,000 employees and his business to say, 
we believe that we can do better and that better looks like this. And by the way, these are the areas I want you to start. So the problems I want to solve, which was a bit unfair, but was all the difficult problems no could solve over the last decade. To so, say, well, solve those problems for me and you, you know, you've proven yourself. And you're, and you're it, which was the ones that we all know is the, you know, is, 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 is the problems that typically don't necessarily get solved over a, over a couple of years. It takes some time to do. But it was worth it. And similarly to some of the other others, I think in the beginning I was seen as a nuisance. Why am I setting up these one-on-ones taking expensive executive time? But it does take the legwork. It's like a salesman, like your yes. example is you have to go walk the streets and you have to understand, you need to talk to people. It's a, it's a people change. Logic never wins arguments. Emotions wins arguments. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to go through that emotional journey with folk. And also just give them the exposure that they would never get. They're not going to go hop on a plane to spend some time at Harvard to understand analytics. That's my job. That's what I needed to bring to the party. But you need to afford them the time to do it. So that was the crux of, the, of, of trying, to get, um, trying to get to a point. It's always easier to have executive sponsorship from the top to say, so, so the CEO, this person's, um, this person's manager was the CEO um, I worked with very closely when I was at, at the chief of staff for the, for the CEO and deputy CEO. And um, you build a good rapport and say, listen, let's understand you, understand what you want to achieve for your business, but, but just give me the, the air cover, as we used to say. Give me the air cover so that if we have to go down this journey, that, 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 um, that at least it won't, when, it, when things do, when there's decisions to get made and people just shut the door in your face, which thank goodness didn't happen, um, it does help. It really, really, really does help. But it is also things that we will talk about is so native to some and so foreign to others. So unless you really take the time to take somebody on the journey with you, you'll leave them behind pretty quickly. And the reason why the 60 hours was probably the best 60 hours spent is that the legacy left, I think, in that business unit to set a trajectory and stick to it, even in the tough times, mm-hmm. which will come, and yeah. they do, and, you know, um, you will go through the roller coaster ride of uh, ups and downs and ups and downs. Is that the fundamental base building blocks of why this is an important thing is done? And you build it into the strategy. Uh, it, it has to be part of the strategic objective as opposed to a side event that's going to happen that somebody's going to get involved in. And that takes time. You don't just strategically change your direction without investing the time. So, so it, took, it took the time, but it was the right thing to do. And it was, was the better for it because any mistakes that you made afterwards, you know, somebody at least had a bit of patience with you. You've had both chief data officer roles and chief data analytic, uh, chief analytics roles, um, sometimes combined, um, like, like you do at the moment, and sometimes separate. So you've been CDO and CAO. Um, what do you see as the, the differences between the, the two roles in terms of uh, deliverables or responsibility uh, or, or remit? Um, is, is there much distinction? And, and if so, what, what do you see as the, the key differences? Uh, very good question. Very, very good question. Uh, d- depending on the size of the organization, I think if the organization size is that big where you can have a chief analytics officer and a chief data officer, it, it must be scale and must be quite big. And the complexity must suggest that the domain focus that you want to have by having two supports, a, a, supports that outcome. Hmm. Um, on the chief analytics office role is much more business orientated. Um, I was spending time sitting in all the business meetings, understanding how to look at the problems from a different lens, trying to solve for hypotheses we can test, um, educating people that, that, that generate the questions that you want to have answered. So it's a lot more ingrained with the more traditional running of the business. 
where the chief data officers, um, and when I was chief data officer, the focus was a lot more with working with the technology teams, privacy teams, data management governance orientation, which had a lot more regulatory slant to it, mm-hmm. where you're actually trying to achieve a set of standards and outcomes. I think where the two overlapped is if the chief data officer does their job while the chief analytics officer's output exponentially would grow. But it is also making sure that not all data is created equal and how do you create the right environment and stick to the right rules to get to the, the more scalable, productionable output of information and models, which, which a, a chief analytics officer will always play in the plate bin. It can always play in, in a non-very formal structured production environment. But mm-hmm. at some point in time, which is one of the biggest challenges that, that data professionals have is every single time you want to productionalize a model or go into full-scale implementation, it almost becomes groundhog day. We're trying to figure out, oh, how are we going to do it? We built it in a particular way. It's not very really scalable. I can have to rebuild everything again. The data, the, how the data was generated, was it a batch job, but now you want to make it stream through and you want to get the pipeline. It, it really, really becomes the challenge. But it also solves for different masters, if you like. And, and, and I think the regulatory change is coming unfortunately, around the world of data. And if you look at some of the very, very high-profile cases of Google and Cambridge Analytica and so on, that, that to have a governance function sit and set the standards and set data management practices and ensure privacy, GDPR compliance, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on, that you actually have that done as a professional business because it does become a much more bigger problem as you scale in the future. And the role would then suggest that you split them. My personal preference is to have them both combined. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that your time to execute and the alignment in terms of generating an end-to-end solution, so from extracting information through the right data layers to the right lineage tools to the right modeling capability to the right analytics to the right customer outcome to the right channel that you want to present this information to the right use cases, it does make it easier if you have an end-to-end build because then some of the surprises you find down the line, which slows outcomes down quite a bit, you actually can deal with upfront. So, so, but it does depend on the size of the organization to do that. It's not, not it, if the domain is so complex and so big, it, it, to have two or five, even having many chief analytics officers and many chief data officers stuck across different parts of the business lining up to the technology and the business combined makes, makes it for good matrix structure as well. If a CDO um, is able to ingrain the culture, the policies, the governance, ingrain that into the, um, into the DNA of the of the company, then it might be there might be a case for for um, that role to not need to be centralized anymore. Um, do you what do you see as the as the future of the CAO and the CDO role uh, respectively? Um, very 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 good question as well. Um, so a, a couple of a couple of things. I, I think future business leaders ability to be data and digitally smart. And what I mean with that is, is not just use it as a tool to execute a particular outcome, but to understand how that influences the the decisions that you make, how that becomes one of your core competencies that you need. I think CDOs will probably blend more into business people over time with the core understanding of data analytics, information, artificial intelligence, machine learning, not just from a technical perspective where they understand, but also understand how to utilize these these technologies to better enable them to succeed. Um, and, 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 the, and, and the reason why I, why, why I say that is that when I joined um, um, in, in Perth working for the first bank in Australia, my role was around PL plus data analytics transformation plus mm-hmm. a sense of how to execute digitally. And the amount of changes in speed for change for delivering business strategic outcomes 
and help transform those areas becomes actually that uh, it's easier to take a, a chief data officer or analytics officer background. And, and I use those a little bit loosely considering that eventually you'll tread into both sides of the, of the spectrum, but that that becomes a core competency that a future business leader would need. And that sort of sets you up to start running uh, businesses in the digital era, if you like a, a bit more successfully. So I think it's, it's more of CDOs and, and, and it's very person-dependent as well, but really people who've, who've made it through the CDO ranks of influencing company output strategy, delivery, and so on, that they become core, core to future business leadership. So, so I think the glass is half full from that perspective. Um, around data and analytics and the role of a CAO, sorry, a, a CDAO, let's, let's, let's call it, uh-huh. include both, both trains of thought. I think the future challenges around ethics for analytics um, we're generating more data. More data suggests more insights. More insights suggest that you uh, want to automate things at scale and you want to start making decisions at scale so that you can just be so in hyper-personalization and everything that goes around that um, as a, a pipe dream or potential of, of really understanding the omnipresence of a customer and how you support them or even business clients or even staff, depending on which domain you want to apply the problem to, suggests mm-hmm. that the, the complexity and the demands are just going to increase. So there's this phase of saying, Oh, when you drive certain key strategic business problems, outcomes, there's a very, very different problem to solve when you want to do it at scale and embed it in, in, into the core of the organization and make those trade-off decisions. Because unfortunately, money runs out. There's not an endless pool of money in any organization to invest in this competency. But also data changes and people's behaviors changes and customers changes. And, 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 and if you look at what the future would be for marketing, particularly if you look at Facebook making the money out of marketing and others, you do have to be abreast of how these trends change. It's not going to stop. My kids are doing things vastly different to what I did. And you can say, well, and they're only eight years old. My, my son, you go, hang on. The world has changed. It's not the same world anymore. You, 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 it's not a set and forget. You don't just do it once and it's done and it's, it's okay. So will the CDAO role change? Yes. Do you have the one singing, seeing and all being? I think you won't. I think over time, the federated structure of how to really ingrain it will, will be there. But strategic direction, it's almost saying that data will get to a point where there's no more value to be generated out of data. We've got all the data and you start saying, well, that's highly unlikely. And it's also how business models change because a lot of the companies are not going to make money off traditional, off, off the way that they traditionally charge for things. It's starting to use insights better and starting to build up new business models, which means it's strategic change. And that's where the role will probably change from governance heavy to compliance heavy to data management practices, making sure regulatory requirements are met to saying, okay, we've entrenched the change program to get to a point where we've got a stable sense of what, what our future would look like, what not stable, but at least make sure that the technology governance and processing of information set to a standard that we can be, be comfortable with, we can scale. But then there's how do you apply that most sensibly to, towards businesses? Because businesses are getting disrupted all the time and data is a key enabler to that disruption. The last point I would though say, um, around what, what the future role would be. It is absolutely dependent on what the problems you're trying to solve. And the domain expertise that comes with data analytics becomes more and more relevant as you go further down the, the rabbit hole, where you can't just be a pure data specialist, whether it's machine learning technologies or whether you're a super-duper statistician or a data engineer or you understand governance. It is understanding the domain that you're in and start helping that domain succeed. So there's a balance between understanding the domain of data and understanding the domain of business and making sure that those grow in parallel. And that's probably where the ultimate chief data officer role would end up. What would you say that you're most proud of that you've achieved in your career? And, uh, and could you say some of the, 
could you point out some of the factors that led to that success, uh, things that you think uh, you might have done well in, along the way that, that helped you achieve that, um, what, you were most, what you're most proud of that you've done in your career to date? So the thing that made me the most proud and the, the thing that I really, really um, realized is what was one of the achievements that I didn't even think that the team could achieve um, in a million years was, so when we started off with this data journey in 2013, one of the outcomes is we need to build a data science team. Mm-hmm. Now, I tried to recruit data scientists across Johannesburg, Cape Town, anywhere in Africa, even trying to get data scientists from international to join us and said, I'm a data scientist, I'm not going to come to Joburg. There's just no way. That Joburg, if you want to be a data scientist, you go to Palo Alto, you go work for Google, you go work for Facebook, you, you, know, you start your own startup, you, you go sit at the Angel Hack Investment Days at, uh, um, in, in, um, in New York. You, you, know, you, don't, you don't come to Africa. So I went across the organization. I went to go talk to people. I said to them, hey, I'm starting trying to build a data science team. I want to try to do these things. There's a couple of ideas I got. What, what do you think? Can you join me? So I, I picked a bunch of folks from, from, I think we started off with five people and they quickly grew to 10 to say, none of you are data analytics experts in your own right. You know enough about it. You've done modeling before. We want to build the world's best data science team out of Africa. That's what we want to do. With no experience, no knowledge. I mean, my, my PhD in analytics gave me a very good inclination of some of the things that are out there, but it, the world moves so quickly. So anyway, play forward partnered with a, a wonderful lady called Vivian Zhang who runs the New York Data Science Academy and said, hey, we're going to send all these. We're going to build the first virtual training program for data scientists from New York and Africa with a six-hour time difference, and we're going to train them up to be the world's best data scientists. Amazing. Anyway, how that panned out is the, 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 the team outperformed most of the Stanford PhDs who went to do the New York Data Science Bootcamp. So we had our 10 folk and the typical people who go to the New York Data Science Academy is from Stanford University and they all finished their PhDs, right? So they're very smart. My, my, my bunch was a bunch of, mis- they, they called them, I, I've, never, I, I've never said that, but they, they, they called themselves a bunch of misfits and they combined themselves, they got together and they said, we're going to do this thing. And I remember sitting, putting them and I said, there's one rule. You, when you do this program, you do it. I'll give you every Thursday off. You come to the office, you're in the wow. same room all together. You help each other. You got the pre-recorded videos online and then you got your TA time live, live streaming with, with, the, with the, the teachers or the professors, but you do it together. And I remember walking in when they first did Python. I remember none of these people coded, right? None. And I could see the distress on their faces. Anyway, nurturing them, talking to them, showing them what's part of the possible, you know, getting the executives to support them, singing their praises, really, really going. Anyway, so play all of this through. Um, 2017 happens. We go and say, well, hang on, we've built a couple of really cool things. We really think this is earth shattering. So why don't we just go chat to a couple of companies out there and showcase what we've done. So in 2017, this team, not me, this team, with the help of the previous chief data officer who was leading um, before I took over from her, um, won the Gartner Best Global Analytics Company 2017 award. And you go, wow, a bunch of misfits as they call themselves, all with different experiences. I sat in fights where the actuary was statistician actuary fights was fighting with a, a computer science grad about what statistics is and they could never see eye to eye, but they did it and they did it as a team. So that's the one that, that, that really sort of showed the accolades of the team, what the art of the possible is. And so what's the learning? Believe, invest in the right people, nurture them, be close to the business problems you're trying to solve. We wanted to do really big things. We chose the very big difficult problems to solve. 
have a great network of people that will support you because you won't have all the knowledge, you won't have all the expertise. Ask for a bunch of favors and make sure you've got support from the top to go down the journey to be able to do this. An awesome note to end on. Um, Peter, I want to thank you so much for your time, for sharing your journey, your insights, your learnings, your perspectives. Uh, extremely, extremely helpful. And uh, man, you covered so much of the topics that we get questions for all the time. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing uh, everything that you, that you shared with us today. Great, Felipe. Very nice chatting to you and uh, hope to chat soon. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.